Welcome to the Sports Carnage Podcast, presented by Detroit Sports Nation, featuring Paul Roshan, D. Dylan Bear, and Ryan Griffin, delivering the most arrogant takes on the planet straight to your ears. We don't promise to always be right, but we promise to act like we are. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Sports Carnage. Along with Ryan Griffin, I am Matt Basson. Two of our mates, Paul Roshan and Dylan Bear, are tired of talking about basketball, so we kicked them out of the show. It's just the two of us tonight. We got some Detroit Lions talk for you, as there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with a former Lion in Megatron, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals as well. But first, we gotta go and talk <laughs> our favorite sport. Let's go, Curtis Blow. Hey! By the way, this is a much better version, much better version than freaking Bow Wow. Play is the Ali Oop. Can't beat the original. Mm-mm. All right, so we are back in the Bay for Game Three of the NBA Finals Wednesday. We record on Tuesday, so it hasn't happened yet for us. But we're back and tied at one-one. Ryan, when we talked about this last week. You thought this is where we would be, a good chance this is where we'd be as a tie series going back to the Bay. You thought Golden State would come out and take game one. Obviously, that didn't happen. They did come back and get take game two. And I've got some stuff that I saw on the Raptors' end that just screams to me on how this happened. But what did you see in the first two games north of the border that got us to where we are right now? In game one, the Raptors could hit shots. And in game two, <laughs> they couldn't. So the biggest thing that helped Golden State win, well, I, I guess I'll start in chronological order. So in game one, obviously Pascal Siakam going 14-17. to 17. We discussed it in the chat because it hadn't happened, obviously, on the podcast yet. That was an anomaly. He's never going to play. He might never play another basketball game in his life like that. And he's going to be a very good player. He's certainly not going to play a game like that again in the finals. But you also don't really have have to have him do that again because he did it once and it got you a win game one of the finals in your only finals you know that obviously you've been in so far so that was really big for the Raptors the other part uh, as far as on defense they played different defense in uh in game one um I don't think it seemed like the Warriors were kind of blitzed by their attack the Raptors had a, a pretty steady lead all game and one of the things that was most impressive about game one is even when the Warriors would cut the lead to six or four or whatever the case was the Raptors would go back up eight ten twelve points that's a lot of what they did to Milwaukee was kind of how they responded to runs and then so in game one that's what helped them really seal the win only Steph played sort of well for the Warriors, his numbers look pretty good, not shooting-wise. Uh, I think he was 6 for 18, but on those 18 shots, he had 34 points. Um, so it wasn't his most effective game, but he also didn't play bad. But everybody else on the Warriors did. And then Van Fleet contributed for Toronto. Um, Kawhi actually played a, a worse game than Curry shooting-wise, but really Siakam was the difference. And then in Game 2, the decision to start Boogie Cousins and the impact that he had on the game, the energy that he was able to give them. Uh, and he was really able to protect the paint in a way that they weren't able to in game one. Draymond played way better defense on Siakam. 
Uh, I saw a stat. Uh, Way better. I think it was today or yesterday. It was after. So, obviously, in game two, Dray, when Draymond was guarding Siakam, Siakam was uh, 0 of 6 from the field, and he had one point, obviously, which came on a free throw. That was the biggest difference for me. Uh, Clay played well. Steph did not, and then they obviously ran that box and one coverage on the end and actually got almost back into it because uh, the Warriors were so undermanned that there was no other offensive threat on the floor at the time besides Steph. I think it was Steph, Boogie, Draymond, Iggy, and like Sean Livingston. So they're able to zone out those four guys and then just ran uh, run Fred Van Fleet at Steph Curry. And for most of the game, the Warriors, again, it was kind of the opposite of game one, is the Warriors were up most of the game, and then Toronto kept cutting back into it. Right, They took a five-point lead in the half. It probably should have been about 10 or 12 because that's what they were up with maybe three or four minutes left. And then Golden State went on a mini run to end the, second, or attend the first half. And then to start the third quarter, they came out and blitzed them 18-0, quickly got up 13. And then you know from then on, the Raptors were just trying to chip away. Right, They got down seven, they got down five, four. And then you know something else happened. Quinn Cook would hit a big three. You know, Clay Thompson, uh, you know, would make the ridiculous shot. He played really well in game two before he went down. Um, you know, Boogie would do Boogie, – Boogie was really good passing. I know he had a double-double with points and rebounds, but he also added six assists to it, and I thought his passing was really one of the mm-hmm. one of the bigger keys to the game. And then the box and one almost worked. You saw Steph almost threw really the game away. Kawhi would have taken it to coast-to-coast, coast, and we probably have, you know, overtime in game two. Who knows what happens in overtime with Iggy Hurt, with Clay obviously out at that point, um, with Kevin Looney out at that point. The Warriors might not have had enough. Uh, but, I mean, give credit to Iguodala. I'm sure anybody hearing this podcast right now knows what a big shot he hit. And it was re- it was really probably a dumb shot because there was still about three seconds left on the shot clock, which put about six or five seconds left on the game clock. So if he misses... Toronto gets the ball, they can advance it, and then you know they can go down the court in five, four seconds, either tie the game or even win it with a three and get a pretty good look. You know, make maybe two passes, right, and try and find someone open. But he took the shot, he hit it. You know, people been comparing him to Robert Ori. I think that's a little, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little <laughs> premature. Um, not. Not quite that magnitude of a shot maker yet, but I and, mean, man, and not he hit fair that to one. Iggy's defensive prowess. <laughs> no. But and they're not fair to not fair to the the shots that uh, Big Shot Bob has taken right. before. <laughs> um, but I mean, there was a different. There was definitely a different uh, energy. I think uh, with Boogie being in the starting lineup and then Golden State trying to you know man it together. Really, at the end when it seemed like all of their pieces were dropping like flies. Well, you made a you made a, a quick uh, a quick answer semi joke of you know. The, the Raptors made shots in game one and didn't make shots in game two. And there was a lot of truth in that. I was looking at the numbers. And I mean, in game one, you know, they got just as many open looks in game one and in game two. And you, yeah. you nailed it. They made them in game one. I mean, you look at just little numbers here of, you know, they were five of six on uncontested threes in game one. They were three of ten in uncontested threes in game two. That's not the Warriors playing great defense, which they do. That's just Toronto not hitting the open shots. And you look at, you know, near the rim, they went from 76% in game one to 60% in game two. And this is while taking a lot more shots in game two. They only took, what did they take, 70, 77 shots in game one and scored 118 points. They took 93 shots 
16 more shots and had 14 less points. And it was throughout, I mean, it was across the board. The rim, I told you, 76 to 60. The mid-range was horrible from 44 to 23. And then a three-point shot from 40% to 29%. And so if you're not going to help yourself, the Warriors are going to do nothing for you. They're not going to help you. They're not going to make that many mistakes. They made a ton in game one, didn't make nearly as many in game two. And... As you said, when everyone went down and they went to that box and one where it was really just Steph offensively and everyone else, it was a five-minute-plus period they did this. And in that period, they only scored 10 points. Now, I say only because five-plus minutes is a lot of basketball to only have 10 points when you are trying to get back in this game. And while the Warriors made none at that point until Iguodala hit the ceiling three to finish that game off, you say you shouldn't have taken that shot. Well, they left the man's wide open. So I you, mean, you wide sh- open to the point where he almost it. traveled. <laughs> you should have shot it, just not with that amount of time left. You should have re- released it down to like one. So even if you miss, right, the ball hits the rim. Right. The, the horn might go off at that point anyway. Uh, right. But I mean, hey, you should have no, shot in, it because he made it. In that instance, you're so. absolutely right. And absolutely. And then we've seen Iggy do this a couple times in the playoffs for them. He's not a great shot maker in general. He's a scorer. The man can drive the basket. The man can dunk. Um, you know, he's an all-around great player as far as, you know, rebounds and assists. And he'll fill the stat line for you. But he's not a great outside shooter. And while the Warriors are known to have a few, they have a, a very... A, a large amount of important pieces when you look at guys like Draymond, you look at guys like Iggy, um, who are very important in a lot of different ways, but outside shooting is not one of those things. And obviously Iggy, you know, turning this series on his head because it could very easily be 2 nothing Toronto right now going back to Oakland, where we will be tomorrow night for Game 3. Toronto had their chances to really put the hammer down in this series and take... Take a 2-0 series lead that not many guys, not many teams have given up when it came to the NBA Finals. And we've seen the numbers on what happens if you win game one, the percentages of you winning the series. Um, you know, hard to say it's going to be that way when you're going up against a juggernaut that is Golden State. But Golden State right now is not that juggernaut. You know, Kevin Durant still not back yet. You just lost Looney, who's played some very important minutes. You're just getting Boogie back. And, you know, I don't know if this could get enough talk with how Boogie went down in the playoffs, how we've seen quad injuries, and how long it can take to really recover from quad injuries, uh, to be out there doing what he's done in Game 1 and Game 2 is just amazing and a testament to his work ethic. And, you know, Boogie gets a lot of flack, you know, for his attitude and stuff that we've seen on the floor. But, I mean, this man has had to have worked his ass off to get back and help this team win. And, and, you know, there was all the jokes all year. They didn't need him. Well, they need him now. With all the injuries that are, that Golden State's having to deal with, they need DeMarcus Cousins to play big. And he played very big in Game 1. As you said, not just the points and the rebounds, but the assists as well. He's always been a very good passing big man. And it's going to take that, all of his skills, to really help them move forward because we still don't know what's going on with KD. You know, they're saying that he's ramped up his play and you know as far as you know practice and movements and all that clay with the ankle you know if it's a high ankle sprain you know that's that's an issue hamstring stuff you've seen it with Iggy uh that's an issue and this team is nowhere near 100 percent and Kawhi is you know starting to take over a little bit more he definitely did more in game two than he did in game one but you saw the reversal of all the help he had in game one there was nowhere to be found in game two 
Yeah, so Katie is out for game three. Um, it, it seems like Clay is going to be questionable leading up to tip. I I expect Clay Thompson to play, but I also thought Durant would play game three Same. in the series, really, no matter what. I, I think if they were down 0-2, he'd be playing. I think they're. I think he would have found a way to play. I think he can play. I think they want him to have a little more rest to be that much better uh, for Game Four. If but if they were down 0-2, I think Kevin Durant suiting up for tomorrow. Well, tomorrow on our podcast, Wednesday for Game Three. I mean, so there's a lot of talk that Toronto gave away the series uh, when they play Sunday. That they gave away the series in Game Two. Just because Golden State's still dealing with so many injuries, like I really don't think that's the case. Still, anything can happen moving forward. It's one of those things where, yeah, you lost the game, right, and now you're 1-1, you gave up home court, but you got the added victory of now Klay Thompson is at least banged up. And aside from Game 2 and really the rest of the playoffs except for the finals in Game 2 and then maybe one of the games against the uh, Rockets or uh, who else are they playing? Not the Clippers, the Rockets for like the Blazers. Right, Clay has Trailblazers. Yeah, Clay hasn't been that impactful this playoff. So if you're going to take a already, I'd say worsened Clay Thompson, and now you're going to add an injury on top of that, in a way that's a win for the Raptors. And then you have you know Kevin Looney out. One of the things about Boogie in Game Two was he was able to defend the paint a little bit more, uh, which the Raptors feasted on in Game One. And Looney's someone that of course can defend the paint. And if he's not going to be out there, right, that means now you got to play Andrew Bogut bigger minutes. And now he's the, the alley-oop king, right? Would he have three three tippins? He was three for three from the field, and they're all alley-oops. Like the mm-hmm. coolest stat ever for Andrew Bogut. <laughs> the, the least athletic person to ever have three alley-oops in a game. But This should be interesting on the Andrew Bogut side because we're going to have to see more of him, obviously. With Looney being down, you still need big men and, you know, for as fast as Golden State likes to play, they don't really have the pieces right now to play that way, you know. And while they did lose one of their big men in Looney, you know, DeMarcus Cousins doesn't play fast. Andrew Bogut doesn't play fast. Andrew Bogut, the forgotten warrior, one of the original warriors, he was on that 2015 squad. He was on that 2016 squad, and he was a huge factor in them taking a 3-1 series lead uh, before going down with an injury in Game 5. And that that injury, along with the Draymond suspension, turned that series on its head, and Cleveland ended up winning their first championship because of it. Andrew Bogut, you know, th- this system that they're running without KD is very similar to the systems they ran in 2015 and 2016, but he was still on the floor playing important minutes despite having the spread out of all those young, fast guys getting up and down the floor. He's been with the system now long enough to, you know, be NBA ready, you know, to have his body complete shape for playing an NBA game. Um, while he was playing basketball overseas, I think it still takes more to play it here than it does to play it in China or to play it in Europe. I'm not, uh, I'm not Australia those places in any way, shape or form Australia as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, I just think it, it takes a little bit more as far as the conditioning and the, athleticism that he's going up against here in the States versus anywhere else in the world playing basketball. But I think he's been here long enough now to be, you know, ready for what he's going to see coming game three and moving forward. And this is a guy that does know this system. I'm curious to see how, how they tweak it to get their big guys involved more because they're going to have to, I think with the guys who have gone down around them. And, 
you know, while you still have Draymond who can pass to anybody out of any situation and make a great pass at that, um, you know, he can score. He's not a great scorer by any means, but their great scorers now are really down to Steph who has, I mean, let's be honest. He struggled a little bit in these finals. This, you know, this ghost of Steph Curry finals past that we, you and I have both talked down is kind of rearing his head here a little bit while he's still putting up decent numbers. It's nowhere near the numbers he was putting up in the playoffs leading up to the finals this year. I mean, not percentage-wise, but I, st- I think he's still averaging like 28 points a game or something, like 28 and a half uh, throughout the two games. Because he had 34 in game one, I think he had 23 or 24 in game two. God, did he really have... Th- Why doesn't it feel like he did not have 34 points in game one? It just doesn't feel like he had that much to me because, in game one for whatever reason. That's because, so him, in like similar to Harden, like if they're playing and they play... You, like, if you're watching the game and you're like, oh, he's not really making that many shots, they get so many free throws. And both of them yeah. are such good free throw shooters that they can go 15 of 15 from the line. And if they made six field goals right now, they have, you know, especially with the threes that they hit. Um, I think Steph has hit three or four threes, like, in each game, too. So he's made those count in a way even if he shot a lot and you know missed a lot of threes as well i think it was three of ten in game one or something but he still made the three three pointers and then you know 14 15 16 free throws or whatever it was like that certainly adds up along with you know the other shots that you're making um right and that's i mean that's that's the Kawhi special it seems to be lately as well yeah is you know all of a sudden you're like damn Kawhi at 36 points like how it's like oh he was 12 for 12 from the free throw line to go along with it Mm mm-hmm yeah, especially if they're not uh, making the shots that they're not getting fouled on, which probably tells you that they're getting fouled on a lot of those shots and just not getting called, um, which is so... I mean, that's kind of one thing that's even bothered me about the series. It's not even the uh, that the officiating has been lopsided one way or the other. It's more so it's inconsistent. Like, I'll see mm-hmm. the Raptors go down and then someone gets bumped, right? And I'm like, all right, that's probably a foul, but if they don't call it, it's whatever. And then, like, the exact same play will happen on the other end, and Boogie will go up, and he'll get smacked, and they're like, all right, that's a foul. I'm like, hold on. Like, the same play just happened, or even reverse, because I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying one team's getting more calls than the others. Because uh, just right. watching it, I feel like I feel like the Warriors get bumped a little bit more, but then I go on my, uh, my CBS Sports app to see how many free throws they're shooting, and the Warriors are shooting more free throws. So they're probably getting fouled more. I do think that there are a lot of fouls that aren't being called on both ends, and I don't think the games are being called consistently. I think they're being called pretty evenly. I just don't know that it's super consistent. And then as far as like the Warriors' production goes, another thing that concerns you with them is these guys like Boogie that stepped up, like Quinn Cook that stepped up, you weren't necessarily counting on those guys before the series started. So it's cool, much like uh, Pascal Siakam in game one. Like, it's great that you got that performance from him. But now what are you going to do when that doesn't happen? What are you going to do when Quinn Cook goes one of six from three instead of, you know, three of three? Or Boogie doesn't go 10, 11, and six in 28 minutes. He gives you, you know, 30 minutes, but he's only got six points eight boards and like four assists like what are you going to do in those instances because it's nice that you got that production there but that's not something you were counting on like that wasn't your game plan to say hey demarcus cousins we're going to play 30 minutes in game two and you know you're just going to ball out for us and quinn cook you're going to come off the bench and not miss a shot so it's it's still up in the air at least to me on both sides i don't think that the warriors snatched the series at all uh in game two because of the injuries and because of the guys that frankly haven't really stepped up in the playoffs either they haven't been given the opportunity or they just haven't seized it 
And just because they did that for one game, I'm not ready to say, okay, now this is, you know, this is a wrap. This is what's going to happen the next five games or however long the series goes. You know, we when we talked about the Raptors and Milwaukee, yeah, I picked the Raptors. I, it, like we talked about before, it was more of a gut feeling than anything else. You had numbers on your side for telling you why it would be Milwaukee. Quit bragging. Um, no, I'm not bragging. <laughs> but I'm wondering, have we, have we not given the Raptors defense – enough credit throughout this entire playoffs, not just right now, not just in the Eastern conference finals, but you know, we, we still thought that golden state would be able to do what golden state's been doing these last five years. And the Raptors, their defense across the board, one through five has been phenomenal for the most part. Uh, since the Eastern Conference, since Game Three of the Eastern Conference Finals, their defense has really taken over uh, to, to go along with some very good offense as well. But this defense across the board has been fantastic for the Raptors, and it's really you know turned the way people are looking at this series, along with the injuries that Golden State's had to deal with. And we talked before about Steph's Finals legacy and him not needing to be finals MVP because this is the two-time MVP, unanimous MVP, all that stuff, multiple-time champion. He's going to the Hall of Fame. That's already secured, basically. But to be up there with the names like Michael, Magic, Bird, etc., you know, they are all not just finals MVP, but multiple-time finals MVPs. And this is... There is no more perfect opportune moment than right now for Steph to really take over these this finals and drop 40-something points on, you know, 60% shooting and all that, things that we've seen him do, things that he did against Portland in the last series where he was just balling out of his mind. But is the Raptors' defense going to let him even sniff that kind of performance? Because we haven't really seen it yet. Yeah, he had the 34 points in Game 1, and the fouls had a lot to do with it. He's going home where the calls might be a little more friendly. But is this the team where he can even do that against? Yeah. I mean, in Game 2, it seemed like Steph had, and even Game 1, it's more so Game 2, though. Like, in the beginning, definitely, it seemed like he had some open shots that just weren't going in. Uh, you know, much like the Raptors were missing a ton of open shots. It seemed like mm-hmm. Steph had the shots that he's usually able to make. And then, you know, I mentioned it earlier, he had a lot of the shots where uh, it seemed like he was probably baiting for a foul. So even if he did get fouled, it wasn't necessarily called. But it threw off the shot and then, you know, it didn't go in. But for a player, you know, as good as Steph or just any kind of great player in particular, those foul shots can help get you going. So it's not just, oh, he had 40 points, but it doesn't count because 25 of them came from the line. No, when you see those free throws consistently go in, and then now the defense is a little bit more hesitant to guard you because they know, hey, this guy's about to draw a foul on me, or he's already drawn two fouls on me, so I have to play a little bit more off of him. Right? It makes, especially if you're a great offensive player like Steph is, it makes you that much more dangerous because now the defense can't play as aggressively on you, and you're able to work with more space, you're able to put more fear, you know, just into into the defense because they know if he drives, right, they've been giving them calls all game. If he drives, I'm going to have this dude roll over. He's way bigger than Steph. If he bumps him, it's going to look way worse than it is. So even if it's not a foul, it might get called because Steph might just go, you know, flying into the stands or whatever. And that hasn't necessarily happened this series yet. But it's certainly prone to it. And, I mean, that's a lot of – I don't want to say a lot. But when 
like when Steph goes off for, you know, 40 points, 50 points, whatever, he still gets a lot of points from the line anyway, right? Even if he has 10 threes, but only 13 field goals, that's what, like 36 points right there. And then, you know, count, uh, he gets a lot of and ones because he's a good finisher at the rim. And then he just gets a lot of other, you know, fouls by him shooting or him going to the basket, uh, you know, and getting bumped there. And as far as the Raptors' defense, uh, so the Raptors' defense has been great all year. And I don't know if it's necessarily that we are underrating their defense. They have stepped it up in the playoffs. I think it's more so we were, you know, being disrespectful towards their offense. And at times you've even seen it in the playoffs where it was warranted. Obviously, they've won every series that they've played thus far. But there is a lot of the times where it's, you know, Kawhi and then the Kawhi is, which is what the other folks have been on the team. <laughs> and so it's hard to get behind an offense like that where it's so one guy dominated. But now you get on the flip side and if Golden State, say Clay doesn't play in game uh, game three. And, you know, obviously Kevin Durant is still sitting out for game three. You know, that's something that you're going to get from the other side as well is they're not going to have really another big big time offensive threat besides Steph Curry is something Boogie can be, but I don't think he's there physically yet. You know, if you get the maximum amount of points you might get out of Boogie is like 20 if he has to be that second option on Golden State. And that's just something that might not be enough given, you know, how he scores is a lot of I'm going to get the ball and then I'm going to go to work on the block. Uh, so, so Boogie's not – I don't think he's going to get those points in the most efficient way. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a comparative uh, now, and I just can't off the top of my head. But or I mean, even the kind of Andre Drummond's a good comparison is even when he goes off for you know 25, 30 points, right? A lot of the times the Pistons still lose that game because they're not. I don't want to say those points don't count or they're necessarily empty points, but they're not. They're not necessarily helping the team that much because. You know, just of the way that they're at, that they're getting them, right? He might go ten of twenty and have twenty points. It's still fifty percent shooting, but if he's not getting fouled and shooting free throws, right? He just made one and missed one, and they're all worth two. And then you're going down on the other end, and you're hoping the other team either you know misses or you know, God forbid, they get a three and then they just gained another point on you. You know, I'm looking at Steph's numbers here, and, you know, a lot of his damage in this series so far has been at the free throw line. He has 22 mm-hmm. points out of his 57 have come at the free throw line. He was 8-9 in game two. He was 14-14 of 14 in game one. And then you look at yeah. his overall <laughs> numbers. I mean, 6-for-17 in, you know, Sunday's win, 8-for-18, you know, in their loss in game one. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, 33%, basically 35%, something like that in game two. And these are not numbers we're used to seeing with Steph Curry. And I, I feel like I'm harping on this, but it's just, is it, is it the moment or is it the team he's going against? I mean, the, the box and one certainly doesn't help. Uh, I don't think it's the moment because Steph has played well in the finals before. He's even shot well in the finals before. Um, so to say it's the moment is, to me, it's overreactive to what's happening right now. It's the team. They're better defensively than probably any of the Cavs teams they played. Maybe not 2016 because uh, that team was, was pretty good on the defensive end. But the other Cavs teams were not, especially the last two years. Um, said the 2017-18 Cavs were just not a good defensive team, even by today's standards, even by like you know just how good the average team is defensively. Um, but it's also a byproduct of this se- this series, excuse me, he doesn't have KD, 
you know, Clay Thompson was a non-factor in game one. So Steph's just kind of there, you know, trying to do it all by himself. Um, and then game one, I think they got within four points in the fourth quarter. So it's, you know, a game they were, you know, close there at the end. And then the game just got away from them. Um, and then in game two, it almost did too, because once they found Steph was the only offensive, you know, force on the floor, they ran that box and one. Or even if, you know, you get past Fred Van Fleet, who, because he comes off the bench, can give you a lot of energy on the defensive end, even if he's not, you know, the best defensive player in the league, he can still be active and he's still, a, he's still got like a strong body to him. So it's something that's going to tire you out. It's something that's going to make you work. And then, you know, they're just basically chasing you all over the court and then say you get past him now you got this four-person zone from the from the free throw line down that you know you can't really do anything with because nobody passed who's going to be a threat to make a shot right if Draymond does shoot a three usually it's wide open and even then you kind of have to pray that he makes it so I think it's more so the team and then the scheme that they're running but also the help now that he doesn't have around him because everyone's just they're just out and they're gone all right, so we look forward to game three. We've talked a lot about Golden State, but for the Raptors, you have a golden opportunity here to come in and retake home court advantage right away. Clay, even if he plays, he's not going to be as mobile. There's no way he's going to be able to be as mobile as he's been uh, with that ankle injury. Um, DeMarcus Cousins still getting his legs. You don't have Looney to deal with. Um, you know KD as well. Uh, Iggy's not 100%. I mean, really the only... The only real threat, 100%, is Steph. Uh, Draymond's 100%, um, and he could go off. I mean, the man damn near had a triple-double in both games. He had one in the first game and was one assist shy in game two. But if you're the Raptors, if you were coaching the Raptors, what is your what is your formula to steal game three and to retake home court advantage? Obviously, depending on uh, who's playing, but I'm going to assume Clay's playing. You, see, you might run you know, a, a box in two or you just have Steph and Clay manned up and then the other three players, whether it be Iguodala, Livingston, Draymond, uh, I don't think Looney's probably not going to play, but Boogie Cousins, right? These guys aren't going to be threat to score, especially not from the outside. So you can put, you can even put Danny Green, who's a good defender on Clay Thompson, and then Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet on Steph Curry, Give Kawhi that rest offensively because Kawhi is dealing with a leg injury too. So you certainly don't want him chasing around Steph or chasing around Klay Thompson, you know, all game. That's probably why he's not shot well, really, the in this series at all. Uh, and you just kind of go to work from, uh, you know, you go to work from there and try to get inside, try to get these dudes in foul trouble. There's foul trouble in game one. The benefit for... Uh, for Golden State was Boogie got two quick fouls, but they were able to keep him in because they were probably only planning on playing him like 15 minutes anyway. So it's not like they, you know, at, at the start, they probably didn't think they needed Boogie all game. So they were able to, lay, you know, let him play with two fouls. But if you get that same foul trouble that you got where now, now somebody like Draymond, I think he had four in the first half last game, and so did Boogie. Now if you get somebody like Draymond out and then Iggy comes in and he's more hobbled, you know, to try to take his place. I think that's really where you're going to take, you know, advantage of it. So I'm eyeing a guy like Siakam to just at least be more aggressive. 
I don't care if you don't make the shots. If you go up, make Draymond follow you. Make a guy like Iguodala follow you. Same thing I'm saying to, you know, Marcus All, Serge Ibaka. Hey, Serge and Mark, hey, play on the inside. You know, I don't need you guys out there shooting threes. If we do, cool, shoot, you know, three or four if you're wide open. Hopefully you make two or three of them. But what I need you to do is I need you to get these big dudes in foul trouble because once you do that, right, then we can just eat inside all game like we were able to do in game one. So that's probably my game plan is, hey, get the bigs in foul trouble. Um, you know, if you can get Steph in foul trouble, great. But it's much more likely that you're going to get Draymond or Boogie in foul trouble. Guys who are, you know, trying to make that play. Uh, Iguodala, too, on the defensive end where they're constantly swiping, you know, and swatting at the ball. Say, hey, go up at them. They're going to they're gonna call something. You know what I mean? Man, they didn't call anything on Iggy. He uh, had no fouls in game two. I was going to say, eventually they're going to call something. Um, you know, and just try and do that. And I mean, obviously the other remedy is, you know, Hey, make your shots, but that's not something that you can coach. That's just something that you hope happens is you guys can run the offense the same way because if you make a lot of the shots in the third quarter that you miss when the Warriors went on an 18-0 run, you know, you probably win that game. God, that 18-0 run at 20 if you count the last two points of the first half. But that's just unbelievable to do that in the finals against a very good team. Because the Raptors are a very good team, and to, to and in their backyard, like this wasn't a road game, <laughs> this was a home game for Toronto, and to come out that second half and just hit nothing—I mean, absolutely nothing—for that long in the second half, um, that was that was just crazy to me. I, I'm I'm blown away here looking at the fact that Iguodala literally had zero fouls in the game. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen again going forward. But you know, game one, Pascal Siakam rides that hype train. I mean, because. Toronto was hyped for game one. That place was going nuts from tip off till the end, obviously at the end because they won the game. But he rode that and put up numbers that we haven't seen since Michael Jordan played in the finals. Hitting 80-something percent of your shots and 30-plus points in the finals is very rare air. He came way back to earth in game two with only 12 points. Uh, what, 5 for 18 shooting? Yeah, he played right? He played so, bad. You got to figure somewhere in the middle is where he'll be going forward. You know, an 18-point game, something like that, which is plenty um, for a young up-and-comer that he is. Uh, You got to think he's going to have a bit of a bounce back. Lowry really hasn't been much of a factor too much in this series. Danny Green hit a couple of big threes to start game one. He hasn't really done much since to really get going. Van Vliet. Great in game one, took a ton of shots in game two to get his points, um, which I'm sure the Warriors are fine with. If he goes two for eight the rest of the way in the finals from three, I think the Warriors will take that all day. But they aren't an overly deep team. You know, they when the help steps up, they look beautiful, and they, the help did step up, obviously, against Milwaukee, um, and the help definitely stepped up in game one. This is going to be a big test for these guys not named Kawhi going into – Oakland going into Oracle where you know that place is going to be loud. It's going to be ready. They know these are the last few games they're going to see here in Oakland. Because regardless of what happens, you know, whether it's game six, which it'll probably end up being, that's it. No more games here at Oracle. You've got to go across the bay out of San Francisco going forward next year. And that place is going to be ready. It's going to be packed and loud as all hell. And these guys not named Kawhi are going to have to find a way to get through that energy and step up because it's game three is a very big moment for Toronto because you're pretty sure game four going forward, 
Kevin Durant's going to be on the floor. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think the the young guys, especially like Siaka and even Van Fleet, will be ready for Game Three. But we'll see. I mean, it's a totally different environment. As crazy as Toronto is, you know, Oracle can get just like that. Uh, not, but obviously the the difference is instead of everybody rooting for you and going crazy when you make a shot. Now you're getting the airball chance. Now every time mm-hmm. Steph hits a three, that place is just bouncing up and down when Draymond blocks it. You know, something like that. And it's just a very different feeling on the other end of it. Uh, and I expect, you know, kind of the energy in the crowd, just like you carried the Raptors in game one, to be able to carry the Warriors in game three. I'll tell you what, Steph hits his first two threes. Toronto better watch out. Because <laughs> if he just gets that feeling where the – bucket just grows a little bit for him and he starts hitting these 35 foot ridiculous shots that no one should take unless your name is Steph Curry uh it could be a very big snowball very quickly even with the injuries that they have to deal with because Steph might know what's coming he might know that this is this is his time to do this because Right now, you look at the finals MVP, and it's very early. We've only had two games. The series is tied at one apiece. Kawhi obviously has a huge argument for it. But on Golden State's side, I've heard more talk about Draymond Green being the finals MVP than, I heard, than I've heard about Steph Curry being the finals MVP. Yeah, I've probably – at this point, I'd probably still give it to Steph just because of the scoring. You know, he is averaging 28.5 points a game um, throughout the first two games. And in game one, really, Draymond didn't play all that good. I know he still filled the stat sheet, um, but Draymond could absolutely win it because his, Im- his impact on the series won't be denied, and he'll always have a better defensive impact than uh, than Steph will. And he might even you know eclipse him in terms of assists. He's certainly going to get more rebounds than Steph. Uh, but I could definitely see Draymond winning the finals MVP. Uh, say Golden State does take it in five and they win the next three games and KD's only there for two of those wins, right? KD's certainly not getting it unless he scores 50 points in both games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but other than that... If Draymond keeps averaging a triple-double or one, literally one stat shy. I mean, that, that, that almost makes it an easy decision to give it to 23. I don't know if that's... So, like, what's... What is stats right now? Like, I know it's close to a triple-double, but it's probably close to, like, 10, 10, and 10, right? Like, the very kind of borderline of a triple-double, and I don't ever want to diminish it like that. But, you know, you have Steph, who's almost averaging 30. Well, so he had 17 in Game 2 to go with 10 rebounds and 9 assists. In Game 1, okay. he had 10. So you're looking at, what, 13 yeah. or so points right now, and then 10 and 10. Okay. So you're looking at 13, like 10, 13, and 9 and a half. Yeah, 13, 10, and 10, basically. Right. And so, yeah, it's not an overwhelming point as far as, you know, on that stat line. But averaging a triple-double is averaging a triple-double. And you do that in the finals, that gets a lot of headlines. But, I mean, what's Steph at? Probably, like, what, 28 and a half, like, 4 and 5, or even, like, 5 and 5? Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's not averaging a ton of – yeah, so he had 34, 5 and 5 in game one. And he had 23 – three and four okay in game two okay gotcha. so he's at yeah it's, it's like 29 four and four basically so he's averaging four rebounds and four and a half assists okay gotcha um that was one thing you know that we, we talked about it in the chat but i mean the way they move the ball you know the what was it uh, 33 out of 36 field goals were assisted something like that yeah something yeah something crazy at one point and then i think they even did on that 
this team, even with the pieces, you know, the strength in numbers, you know, their slogan, I mean, it really, it really rings true with this team. You know, they, they mean it because their bench matters. And while their bench is not the same as their bench was in 2015, like I said before, there's a few key components of that bench that are the most important parts. Andre Iguodala is a huge part when you come to talking about that bench. You know, Sean Livingston is a huge part when it comes to talking about that bench. He plays while he while he may not fill up giant stat lines, he plays important minutes. He's a good ball handler, and you know the offense is able to run through him. You know, maybe not on the scoring side, but on finding open looks, he's still very good at. And this team, no, just they just seem to find ways of plugging and playing, and it and it ends up working. I mean, to to pull out that game coming from a, what, 13-point deficit at some point in the second half? Weren't they down 13 in the second half at one point? Golden State? Yeah. No, no, because they were down five. Oh, sorry, not, not second started. half, second quarter. Second quarter. Oh, I didn't se- second second half. quarter, sorry, my, my, yeah, I think so. Second quarter, they were down like 13 points at yeah, one yeah, point yeah. before going on a run to cut it to five yep. at halftime. And then that ridiculous 18 nothing run to take that lead and and never fully relinquish it. They just seem to find ways that even with Clay going down, um, not not as much with Clay when Clay went down, obviously, but they have guys who know how to hit big shots in big moments. Yeah, and you mix that in with these guys that know how to play their roles really well at Golden State. I mean, this team is a lot more than just Kevin Durant. We were saying that before. They're a better team with them, obviously, and anyone who says otherwise is a fool. But the way they play basketball without him, sharing the wealth that they're really good at, while still having their main two guys in Steph and Clay get a boatload of buckets, and we haven't really seen Steph get a boatload of buckets yet. Yeah, he had 34 in Game One. Like I said, it was a very quiet Kawhi-like 34 points with a lot of free throws making up for that and not great shooting. If he turns it around and home cooking can generally do that, it could be something. It could be something spectacular. We're about to see at Golden State. I'm uh, real excited for for Game Three, obviously, and then just a series moving forward. Um, I do have. I'm, ser- to... I'm excited. We got a series. Yeah. You know, we haven't had a series in the last two years. We got a series this year. So we talked a little bit about the Raptors' defense. I'm looking at some numbers right now that are actually kind of amazing. So Kawhi Leonard and. You know, he's been somewhat forgotten coming into this year. Everything that went on with San Antonio last year and not really seeing him, um, you know, not seeing too much of him after the injury, you know, caused by Zaja Pachulia, you know, closing out on him uh, and his big foot being right where Clay, uh, Clay, where Kawhi was landing. Uh, we haven't seen as much out of a guy who was a finals MVP, a guy who was before the before all this stuff was in the top five of basically everybody who knew basketball um, in the NBA as far as what he could you know, contribute to a team winning. He's been slowed down. He's been slowed down by Clay. He's been slowed down by Iggy. And they actually pulled up the top defenders on Kawhi. And Iggy's number one. Clay is number two. Giannis, number three. And Miles Bridges, at <laughs> number four. Yeah. Points per 100 possessions. But Kawhi is going to have his stamp on this series. And we haven't seen it yet. He didn't, he didn't really need it in game one. His team more than made up for it. Um, you know, it was almost like, we're sorry that you've had to carry us for so damn long in that Eastern Conference Finals. Here's us, you know, giving back a little bit in game one. Um, he did a lot more on his own in game two. 
because guys like Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and Danny Green really didn't offer too much in game two. But Kawhi is going to put his stamp on this, and Kawhi has no fear. I, if I'm, you know, if I'm thinking about Kawhi Leonard, he's got no fear walking into Golden State on Wednesday and putting up 35 points and pulling down 15 rebounds. And you know, I would expect nothing less from the guy. But his play is the absolute biggest factor for Toronto moving forward. And while he is a willing passer, you know, they're going to need his scoring and they're going to need him to create plays for this team. And all the noise you're hearing with Kawhi right now is not court related. You're hearing about, is he going to stay in Toronto? You're hearing about his now lawsuit with Nike over this logo of his, where it's his giant ass hand making a KL2 insignia, which in my mind is not that great of a logo, but that's just me. Does this affect him? Does the outside noise affect him like it might affect some other guys out there? No, I don't think the outside noise affects him. Um, I mean, but it's not something that we've really ever seen him play through because when he did have outside noise in San Antonio, he just set the the whole season. (laughs) But I don't think so because I don't think it's something that the media necessarily – harps on like they do with you know even uh steph when uh when his wife came out and said you know she wants to feel appreciated or noticed um you know by 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 other men or something like that i don't think it really affects Kawhi, but i think it's because he he does get a i don't say like a pass on that stuff but even if he doesn't play well he's a guy who for whatever reason at least right now gets a pass because he's done so much in Toronto and because, you know, he seems he had that moniker that, you know, Steph had for a long time of like the humble superstar. So even if they didn't come up big, it was okay because everybody still liked them. You know, it's something that KD had for a while too. And then, you know, he became, uh, he kept taking shots back at the media. And then he became, you know, one of the bigger villains in the NBA when he essentially just, you know, stopped giving a damn kind of about what everybody thinks. But for Kawhi, I don't think that's something that, you know, affects him at all. Because not only, again, do I think he hears kind of less of it than everyone else. um, But he's at least a guy who on the surface, it seems like, is pretty much all about basketball. They just had that that report, not, you know, report, but that story today about him uh, during his time at San Diego State. Where... You know, he's playing the game and he's saying, no, I'm a board man. I'm a board man. Board man gets paid. And they're even trying to detail that the the trash that Kawhi talks. And he doesn't say, like, oh, I'm about to drop 50 on you. He says, all right, bucket, bucket when he makes it. And then he just runs down the court. Like, that's the guy who I don't even necessarily know that you can get in his head. Or instead of saying, you know, you're not going to score on me when he's on defense. It's just nope, nope, nope. Nope. And like he's just trying to stay in front of you the whole time and obviously succeeding. And then when you shoot, it's just nope. So it's not someone who, you know, relishes a, a lot in that back and forth. Like it might affect a Kevin Durant um, or even a Draymond Green or even like a Steph Curry where you see them even get and, uh, you know, sideline, they're not scuffles, but sideline discussions, if you will, uh, with Drake. You know, after the game, they had that video of KD and Clay. Uh, you know, talking to Drake about what happened in game two. You know, hey, you're not talking anymore, huh? Da-da-da-da-da-da. And I don't think that's something that you would ever see from Kawhi because I think Kawhi is a person that's able to block out 
all that noise and just focus on what he has to do, you know, playing basketball. It's interesting because there's there's famous trash talkers in the NBA, you know, Gary Payton, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and, you know, these guys are some of the greatest, you know, either of all time when you talk about Bird or Jordan or greatest, you know, defensive point guards of all time in Gary Payton. And the way they would do it, I mean, GP and Michael Jordan would just be flat out disrespectful. <laughs> they would say all sorts of stuff that is not, you know, PG-13 rated uh, to get you off your game. Bird... Bird would just kind of tell you, I'm going here, I'm going to shoot it here, and there ain't a damn thing you can do about it, and then he went and did it. Um, you know, he would say things that most white guys playing basketball didn't really say. I mean, even even to the line, even to the side of, you know, like, you're putting the white boy on me? What, are you crazy? And then you got Kawhi, who we've heard him, you know, he's kind of the, the Bill Belichick of players as far as the, you know, the answers that he gives, very short, very curt. Uh, and to hear this kind of tra- quote-unquote trash talk where it's not really much trash talk. He's just kind of telling you how it is. Um, it cracks me up, but it's really not surprising when we how we've seen Kawhi throughout his career. Yeah, no, it's probably like the, the least surprising news ever. You know, it just... I mean, the least surprising would be he doesn't say a thing because we don't hear him say a thing anyway. So, like, the least surprising would be, oh, he doesn't say a damn thing. He just goes out there and does it. But the fact that he literally just gives you kind of, like, one-word answers, like, nope and bored or mine, like, then that's pretty much it. Like, board the man board gets man paid. gets paid one, cracks me up. <laughs> like, that's just... Like, where, where does that even come from? Board man gets paid. Because there's plenty of board guys out there that aren't getting paid all that much because they can't really do much besides get rebounds where he absolutely can. I mean, a lot of those board dudes got paid a couple years ago. Was it uh, Mozgov? Like he didn't do anything oh, except God. get rebounds. Well, yeah, that, that's that's that. Hang on, we're not talking. I'm, I'm sorry. I meant paid by smart teams. Board man gets paid. <laughs> I don't mean paid by dumb reaching teams like the Lakers, who used to be great and are now trying to figure out their way back to it. Board man gets paid. He's not even like he's a he's like a good rebounder, but he's not like a great rebounder. He's not like the best rebounder in the NBA. So Boardman is like it's so weird coming from him too. Like if Drummond said that, he'd be like, well, All yeah. right. Like he pulls it out, you know, fifteen a game. Kawhi probably averages what right, like, but he ain't but he ain't dropping thirty two on your eight or nine or something. 15. I know, it's just it's just a funny thing instead of highlighting everything else you're good at. You highlight like this one thing that is not your best attribute. Yeah, I mean he really you know, yeah, he's not I mean, it's not like he's Rodman. It's nowhere near that. I mean, he's literally averaging five for his career. Or sorry, six, <laughs> a little over six for his career. So it's like Boardman gets paid. It's like you must be getting paid a six. lot per board because you ain't grabbing that many. But at the same time, when we see him go off, like it's not surprising to see like, like yeah, he went off and he also had, you know, 14, 15 rebounds while going off. Like when it when it matters, you see him doing it. And in, especially in this postseason, you've seen him do it quite a bit. But, yeah, for his career, it's not anything that he's, like, really known for. I mean, he's an all-around phenomenal player. I, I've said for the last, you know, four years now um, that he's the best two-way player in basketball. Um, you know, he was not – you know, I was in San Diego, uh, you know, at the start of his San Diego State career. And, you know, he that was not – it wasn't an offensive juggernaut team. They, you know, they lived on their defense. And so – you know, he wasn't putting up, and you've seen this a lot of college guys where they'll go from averaging 14 points a game in college to all of a sudden exploding in the NBA. But it's not like he was Steph. 
in college. Steph was putting up big college numbers, and then it transferred to the NBA. Kawhi was, you know, he was a, a great defensive player on a very good defensive team and could put it, put the ball in the basket. But I don't know if anyone saw this offensive version of Kawhi coming out of San Diego State. I certainly didn't. Well, I mean, probably not, but he had a lot of years to sit back and just, you know, learn with the Spurs where he didn't have to be the main option. And even if he averaged the most points, right, he was able to take some stuff from Tony Parker, from Manu Ginobili, uh, from Tim Duncan, and even some of the other guys he played with, like Boris Diaw for a minute uh, when they went on their championship run. So he got a lot of – he wasn't asked to come in right away and average, you know, 20 points a game. He was asked to do the things he was good at, and, uh, hey, the offense will come. Okay, now you can be a little bit more we aggressive. Can. Now you can, <laughs> you know – yeah, now you can start, you know, shooting uh, the mid-range jumpers. You can work on your post game a little bit. We can kick out to you, um, you know, on the three-point line. So he's able to to develop all of those, uh, you know, probably season by season, um, and then have a really well-rounded offensive game. You know, throughout all of our talk of the of the finals from last week and this week, one thing we did not do is make picks. I don't think we ever made picks on who we thought was winning this finals and in how many games. So we're tied now at one apiece. You've seen the way the first two games went in Toronto. You've seen the injuries that Golden State's had to deal with. You've seen Kawhi get help and then not get help. Uh, there's, at most, five games left. How do you see the rest of these five, possibly five games, playing out? Warriors and six, baby. They go up 3-1 at home. They lose game five, and they come back and close it out in the last game in Oracle ever. I like it. It's like a Disney movie. <laughs> I'm like-minded. I got... Uh, I got Warriors in six as well. Uh, I don't know if they're winning both. What, what's more devastating? Going back 3-1 and knowing that it doesn't matter if the Raptors win game five because you're going back, or going back tied and taking Toronto's heart in game five? <laughs> I don't know what's more devastating to Raptors fans. Yeah, probably losing game five. Because if you win game five just, and you're down 3-2... You're happier than if you lose game five and you're down 3-2. Right. Because you're like, okay, it's just now the we mindset got, coming in, like walking up, the fans chance. walking in to being down 3-1 versus tied at two and losing. I mean, I don't think the fans are ever going to be uh, ever going to be an issue, f- at least in this series, for the Raptors because they're so happy just to be there. And if they're down 3-1, they know they're going to have to bring it. Speaking of uh, speaking of board men getting paid, Calvin Johnson, Darius Slay, Damon Snacks yeah. Harrison, they all got the same beef with the Lions over money, over contracts. Two contracts <laughs> still currently to be played out in one contract, dead in the water. But Calvin had to give some money back, and it sounds like he's not very happy about it. Yeah, so... The Lions asked for a million dollars back from Calvin Johnson. Well, we we don't know the number yet. Like it, it, oh, okay, it, so it's, it's a rumor been, that it's a mill. No, so it could have been anywhere. For, so his signing bonus, I think, was like sixteen, or that's what he was guaranteed. So it's anywhere from like one million to sixteen million. They haven't given us an exact number yet. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big difference. That. that is one hell of a, but, of a wide range of ballpark. We don't there. we don't know how much they made him pay back. It's at least a million. Jesus. And so Calvin's saying, you want me back in the fold. You want me to be like Barry Sanders and be an ambassador for this team moving forward. You're going to give me my money back. Mm-hmm. 
The Lions are saying no. Rob Wood and the Lions are going, nah, fam. (laughs) You want to come back and play, we'll give you that money back. But I don't think Calvin Johnson is coming back and playing at this point. It's been, what now, three years? Yes. Three years since he last stepped foot on the gridiron? Mm Mm-hmm. So who uh so obviously you're either gonna be Team Calvin or Team Lions. There's really no splitting it down the middle this way. Which uh which side of the fence do you fall on? Oh, I'm always on team player. <laughs> when it comes to the Lions, when it comes not not always in sports, but when it comes to the Detroit Lions, I am always team player. Because you are playing for one of the worst franchises, not just in the NFL, not just in football, but in all of sports. The most one of the most inept franchises that should be better than they are and this has been 30 plus years of my life where they have literally given me like three or four seasons that have been worth a damn and most of them were back in the 90s when we had scott freaking mitchell as our quarterback but you had barry sanders you had herman moore and it was enough to at least win the nfc norris division now called the north and actually win a playoff game one one, I was alive for it. I was alive for that one playoff win. And yeah, we got screwed against Dallas. But there hasn't been that much to tout when you're a Detroit Lions fan. And why why would the players want to set themselves to that misery and not get paid handsomely for it? I just, I, I don't see the Lions having a leg to stand on outside of, you know, the argument of you've signed a contract and you have to honor that contract. I mean, I'm I'm Team Calvin. He was paid handsomely by the Lions, but he also performed for that money. Yes, he did. You know what I mean? I'm Team Calvin simply because, like, the Lions are asking him to come back. And you ask him to come back. He said, okay, I'll come back if you give me the money. So, like, what room do you have to be mad? It's not like Calvin right. just subpoenaed your door one day and said, hey, I want my one to sixteen million dollars, right? Whatever he had to pay back. They asked him to come back. He said, "Okay, if you want me back, you have to pay me." And now they're like, "Well, we're not going to pay you." Then you don't get him back. <laughs> like to to me, it's that simple. Like he he told you what it's going to take, and either you're going to do it or you're not. And if you're not going to do it, that's fine. Then just accept the fact that he's not coming back. Like, why would you try and you know paint him as you know some type of bad guy or like greedy individual when he just said you know hey if you want me back you have to pay me back that money well and i think one of the big differences between calvin and barry's was when barry was gone he was gone you didn't hear from him you didn't see him he was gone calvin you've heard from here or there you hear whispers of things he's said about the organization he's made his thoughts known um throughout this time period And I think that plays a factor as far as when fans are thinking about it and whose side are they on. But it's like you said, where it's not like Calvin said, okay, I want to come back, but I'm only coming back if you give me this money. No, the Lions said, we want you back. And he's saying, okay, but you got to pay me that money that we agreed on. Oh, and like, he was here for 0-16. Come on, he was. Um, other than that was like why I'm confused because I don't think there's any legal ramifications for it. The reason the Lions don't want to do it is because it would count against the salary cap, which is fine. I don't think Calvin's goal is to screw the Lions in the salary cap. So why can't like Martha Ford just cut him like a personal check for two, (laughs) three, four? You know what I mean? Like we'll give you the money. We just have to keep it for our cap. And that way both teams win or give him – that money for something dumb like an appearance 
like, hey, Calvin, come back to Ford Field, and then we can pay you, say it's $5 bucks, right? We can pay you $5 million for the appearance. We both know that's the money that you're owed back, but, you know, we can now we can do it. you're getting it a different way. Right. Now we can do it where we still keep the money, at least on our salary cap, and you get the money that's, you know, that's paid back to you. Because I don't think his intention is... Like I said, to screw the Lions, I think it's too. He just wants his money. Although it could be. What if it was? What if? What if he's just straight <laughs> he's, like Lex Luthor, evil genius, and he's just like, I'm gonna get these fools back. Then he's a much I'm more. I'm gonna do it in the long game. He's much more <laughs> diabolical than I've ever given him credit for. Do the Lions still do like team signings? Like when I was a kid, there was a day where you could go to the Silver Dome and they would stretch tables from end zone to end zone, and each player would be sitting behind a table, and you get in line of the you know for whichever player you wanted an autograph of. And my friend and I, we used to run around freaking the Silver Dome and get autographs from everybody, Barry included. Uh, you know, we would sneak in line and stand behind some dude, look behind, look behind, and look at the people behind him and say, "That's our dad," and then just cut right in the line and <laughs> get our autographs and then run off. Because uh, if they still did that, there's an appearance fee right there. You can say, okay, we'll give you $2 million and you show up for this signing day thing. Where it's for the fans, it's for kids, and it's something that he could get behind. But, you know, just to show up and be there for the coin toss as an honorary captain or some crap like that, I just I don't see that being something the Lions would go out there and do. You could do it for, like, a commercial. <laughs> like, literally <laughs> anything that you can. Come defend the den. <laughs> right, that you can pay this man for. You just pay him that money that way. And that way it doesn't count for your salary cap. They're, you know, a, a billion-dollar organization, a billion-dollar company. Like, it's not like you're going to hurt if you give him that money. The only way it's going to hurt is the salary cap. But it seems like there's thousands of other ways that he can you be paid. You think old, wrinkly, almost dead Martha Ford is going to say, yeah, I'll just give him $5 million out of my bankroll? I mean, if you want him back, yeah. If not, <laughs> then no. But if you, if but if you want him back, enough. that's what it's going to take. Well, then stop asking this dude to come back every year Ugh. and making a story about it. Oh, we reached out to Calvin. Like, what are you doing planning that story? Like, you know they're trying to make it so, hey, we reached out. He's just being greedy and he wants that money back. Like, well, then quit reaching yeah, out. you reached out. Yeah, you reached out. He didn't reach out. You reached out. So how is he greedy when, you know, you've been fighting this battle for a few years now, and this hasn't been a quiet battle. You know, fans have known about this on and off, you know, for a couple of years now, and you're trying to paint him as a bad guy. And like I said, Calvin did some things to kind of paint himself as the bad guy. You know, we've seen the responses on Facebook from DSN pages, you know, regarding Calvin and all that. And fans, you know, you've got some that are just sick of him even talking about the lions and saying, you're retired. You quit on us, go away. And then you've got other fans that are saying, I understand it because the Lions are a terrible organization. And why would you want to play here without getting paid a boatload of money and risk all that health for nothing? I mean, he's usually asked about it, though. Like, I think even uh, when he first retired, and there there are some comments. Well, of course he's going to be asked about it. Somebody, basically somebody asked him, like, did the losing play a factor? And he was like, yeah, it did. And that got blown up. It's like he was asked. He wasn't. He didn't hold a Terrell Owens press conference outside of his house. Like, hey, everybody, let me tell you why the Lions suck. One, they didn't pay me well, my money. Sit up, sit Number my two, right? Like, that's not that's not the way it happened. Like, he was asked about it, and then he gave you know his response, his answer, and you cannot like it if you want, but like that's the way he feels. And if you know he feels that way, and we've known that Calvin wanted like the money back for a while like as soon as he paid it back there were reports that he wasn't happy about it right like we've known that calvin wanted whatever money he was owed back to him 
he felt like while the Lions had a had a right to take it, right, due to like you know they legally had a right uh, to the money and to get it back. It's like you know it's a it's more of a principle thing. I don't even think it's not, so. I don't want to say it's not about the money because obviously it is, but I think it's more of a principle thing than anything else. Like I did all of this for you guys. I got messed up fingers for the rest of my life, and while you know the Lions did make him a very rich man. He felt like he should get everything that they had agreed to because he put his body, you know, on the line. For money, yes. And but, performed. <laughs> right. And performed. So, I mean, oh, like it seems it seems like a pretty easy fix. If you want him back, pay him. If you don't want him back that much, don't. And also, like, why, why does it matter if he comes back? You know what I mean? Like, I guess it's cool to have Calvin Johnson Day at Ford Field or whatever. But if he doesn't mm-hmm. come back, how does that help or hurt you at all moving forward? Like, the the main reason I can think why you'd want Calvin back is so... Because he's still pretty active with at least, like, working out with, right, other receivers and even just other football players still holding camps and everything. It's active in the, in the NFL community, if you will. Like, the, the worst thing that will happen is Calvin tells people, hey, don't come to Detroit. Not that Detroit's a... A hotbed for free agents. Anyway, As if people need to know that, <laughs> right? But like that's, I mean that's that's what happen if you keep prodding them. Like that's the probably the biggest downside to not having Calvin back at, in, in the organization. But like, what's there's not really a plus to it, you know what I mean? Besides like fanfare, and that's the plus is the fanfare. It's you know keeping fans coming to Ford Field to watch this crappy product that we put on the field by having a Calvin Johnson's day Johnson day, having his number put up in the ring of honor or whatever the heck they have in, in, you know, in Detroit. Uh, that's the only thing I see outside of whatever team, whatever players are still on this team that would love to see him, you know, hanging out in the locker room or whatever before and after a game. Uh, I don't see much being gained by this outside of just trying to mend the relationship with, you know, the greatest wide receiver that Detroit's ever had. Um, and, you know, sticking in, you know, fixing that relationship and helping that legacy move forward of, you know, one of the greatest wide receivers the NFL's ever seen. And yeah, we had him, but we blew it like we did with the running back. And we have done with countless other players in Detroit Lions history, which is, you know, where careers go to die. Well, at least the, uh, at least those problems are in the past and the Lions aren't having any money issues with their current roster. Uh, right, no, not at all, except for the fact that uh, two of our best defensive players and Darius Slay and Snacks Harrison are both skipping the mandatory workouts, both forfeiting probably $250,000 each uh, in bonuses, and they're both under contract for the next two years. You know, Slay is scheduled to make, you know, just over $12.5 million this season, $10 million next season. Snack's supposed to make just under 7 this season and 9 next season. So they are under contract. Clearly, they're not happy with their contracts and want something else to be done. Um, you know, you saw the reporting today. Tom Brady reported to Patriots. Uh, Le'Veon Bell reported to the Jets. Uh, but two of our best defensive players are not showing up to work out for Detroit. No, they want, uh, they want new contracts, new money. Slay, so Slay's kind of, I, I obviously I understand them both. You're you're always going to want more money. Slay's confusing me because he had an extension, what, two, three years ago? And he still has yep. two two years on it. And then uh, 
you know, it's obviously Snack signed his contract with the Giants and then was traded over here. So he hadn't had much, you know, uh, negotiations, of course, with this organization. And then it seemed like it was reported that the Lions, you know, weren't really inclined to extend either of their contracts. And if I know, you know, we just talked a whole bunch of trash about the Lions, but I don't think I'd extend either of their contracts either. Uh, in two years, Darius Slay is going to be 30, and you assume he wants an extension until he's 32 or 33. Last year was probably his worst year in the last, like, three. So he's coming off. Um, it's not wasn't necessarily a bad year. It was just not a Darius Slay performance type year. And then I think Snacks is already about 32 or 33 years old, somewhere around there. No, he, he's, 30, he's 30 right now. He'll be 32 when his deal ends. Okay, so he'll be 32 when his deal ends. You're thinking he probably wants at least you know a two, three-year extension, whatever. So you're talking about paying both of these guys till they're 32 and 34 years old. And, you know, more money, too, right? They don't just want the extension. They want to get paid right. bigger than what Snacks is making, $9 million in the, uh in two years from now. And Slay was making, what, 12 or something like that? Yeah, 12 and a half this year. Oh, wow. And was, so what is it next year? Uh, it's actually less next year. It's 10 to finish off. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, it's $19 million between those two. I wouldn't do it. Well, and the thing is, Bob Quinn doesn't do it. He has never given an extension when you've had two years left on your deal. And so Slay, you figured he knew this. He's been here. Snack's a different story. You know, like you said, came over from the Giants. Um, so it's not like he's known and been in the organization. Slay's been here for a while with Bob Quinn at the helm. And this is a known thing with him that he's not doing this when you have two years left. Uh, is Slay thinking that, yeah, well, he's not doing that for other guys. I'm the best defensive player he's got, definitely in the secondary for sure. So he'll do it for me. And he's, you know, he's pushing that envelope right now and seeing if Bob Quinn will fold. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think he'll fold. But I mean, in the next two years, Bob Quinn might not be here anyway. Uh, right. So who, uh, who knows? But I, like I said, I wouldn't do it. Um, maybe if like Slay was just coming into his prime. That's something that I'd consider. Right, but you're, you're, you're going to be an older secondary player. Right, at that you're point. an older secondary player who has already shown some signs of declining, right, or at least worse. Going up against 24, 25-year-old yeah. wide receivers. Or at least worse play your speed. And usually the best wide receiver on the team. Right, and you're, you're not going to get any faster. Um, I mean, like I say, like he's plenty fast right now, but he was coming off a bit of a down year, Darius Slay Sanders last year. Um, it's – Snacks was Snacks wasn't bad Snacks was good But there was a time where Snacks was You know maybe the best Defensive lineman um, Certainly like the best defensive tackle in the NFL And that's something that he's not really anymore Even if he's up there He's not you know like the single best So he's going to be on the decline too Like I said I wouldn't pay Either of these guys I certainly understand why they're holding out because they want more money, and they're kind of holding Bob Quinn's feet to the fire, and I don't know if that's something that they know or their agents know or if it plays into the decision at all. But they know, you know, hey, if we're not good this year, you might be gone, especially if we're not good in, the, in like, in two years. You're for right. sure out of here. So we're, you're, we're two of your probably three best players right now. Right, if you want to throw Stafford in there, they might be the two single best players. So, hey, we're your two best players right now. If you want to keep us and save your job, like you're going to have to pay us. 
Um, so I don't know if that's something that's going into their decision making process. I think it's a it's a good chess move if it is right, because um, if Bob Quinn doesn't pay them, you know, it might cost him his job, even if it sets up the next GM in you know one or two years from now, uh, up with a better situation and a better salary cap situation. But you know, I don't, I wonder if that's something that's playing into uh, you know playing into their leverage that uh, that they you know think they have. Right, and we all know how inept the Lions are offensively. When you don't have an offensive line, there's only so much you can do. Uh, even with you know a great quarterback, um, you know even with great pieces around that quarterback, if you don't have a line blocking them, there's only so much you can do. So defensively is where the Lions have to make their mark. And while yes, Snacks is not what he was, he definitely helped shore up that defensive line when it came to run blocking. And we all know how good Darius has been in the secondary over the years. Uh, least surprising fact here. Both represented by the exact same agent. That agent, Drew Rosenhaus. Why am I go. not Big surprised? Daddy Drew. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so now that uh, that Drew Rosenhaus is the agent, uh, I definitely suspect there's a, a feeling of, well, hey, if you don't pay us, you're probably not going to be here because you have to remember in the last two NFL drafts, um, you know, both the ones that Patricia has been there for, they went offense in the first round. So it's not like there's some young corner on the team that's ready mm-hmm. to step in and take over for Slay. Uh, you know, same thing with the defensive, uh, you know, tackles position. The reason they traded for Snacks is because, you know, Ashawn Robinson doesn't look like that's what he'll develop to be. Um, you know, Deshaun Hand, same type of thing. Those are both nice players, but they're certainly not Snacks, right? They'd have to make big, big leaps to get up to, you know, what, what Snacks has been able to uh, – to become as an NFL player. So I think that's something that's definitely playing into their hands. Um, I don't know if either of them will get paid. I would definitely bank on Slay getting paid uh, before I would Snacks, but Snacks would also, you know, cost less. So I don't really know. uh, I don't really know how that's going to work out. Uh, My gut feeling though would say Slay gets paid because he's still only 28 there's not a great history of corners after 30, which is what his extension at the end at least would cause him to be. And like I said, I think Bob Quinn kind of knows that he's fighting for his job. And if he gets these dudes, you know, sitting out, um, even if they don't sit out the regular season, if he doesn't, ex- I don't know, it's just, <laughs> it's a it's a hard thing to kind of, you know, go after because they could sit the season i guess i don't think they will because that's too you know too much money for them to lay on the line but yeah especially this late in their careers where they're only getting older and you know snacks already while you don't have to be as athletic to play at 32 um in his position as you would for slays uh you got to figure with older guys like this even if they do get an extension it's going to be an incentive laden contract where it's you know, so many interceptions for Slay, so many Pro Bowls, whatever, um, to really kind of get the money that they're looking for. You know, I don't know if either one of them is going to get that large of a contract. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Only time's going to tell on this one. But, uh, you know, we were both on Team Calvin for for his argument. Where are you with this one? Are you Team Slay and Snacks or are you Team Lions? I'm Team Lions only because, like I said, I wouldn't pay them. I understand why they're sitting out. But, I mean, as as a fan, the only thing that I really care about is that they're here for the regular season. They can sit out the entire preseason. They can sit out all of mini camps. That doesn't affect me any. As long as they're there for the 16-game season, um, 
you know, I'm I'm cool with whatever they decide to do. But I'm Team Lions only because I wouldn't pay either of them, or I wouldn't extend any of the either of them, especially not now with two years left. And we all know how much the preseason doesn't matter. As the year we went 0 16, we went 4 and 0 in the preseason. That's right, preseason champs. <laughs> yeah, I think this one's tougher because I I understand where they're coming from. It's harder for me with Slay knowing who he's dealing with as far as Bob Quinn, but also the fact that, you know, having that kind of trump card of if we suck, there's a good chance you won't be here. I'll still be here. I'm under contract. Mm -hmm. You probably won't be. And the next guy might actually pony up. If it continues into the regular season, uh, I will be disappointed, but I won't be surprised if this continues into the preseason. Not me either, but uh, it might be team trade him time. (laughs) Now, the first thing I saw on Google when I typed in Darius Slay's name to try and get his age was, could the Seahawks make a trade for Darius Slay? Ooh. I was like, shit, yeah, maybe. What you, maybe. What, what you got to offer up? All right, give me, give me some mean, first you know, and second we've round We've seen picks. when former Lions go to Seattle, you know, things happen, like winning Super Bowls. <laughs> you brought up Sean Robinson. I was hyped as hell when we drafted him. I haven't heard his name that much since coming to Detroit. Is he a... Is he a disappointment in your mind? Yeah. Considering what he was well, at Alabama? He's a disappointment. It's uh he's not a bad player. He's just not, you know, a, like a force on the inside. I thought he's, he was gonna be a force. He's a fine rotational lineman though, which is all that we need him for right now. But even when it comes time for, you know, when his rookie deals up and he's like, Hey, pay me, like you gotta show us you can start. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like I'm not What's gonna it been now? Three years? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Three or four? I don't think it's been four. I think it's been three. Something like that. But. God, I, rem- I remember hearing his name up and down in Tuscaloosa. And when we grabbed him, I was like, yes, this will be a good one. And I mean, it hasn't been a terrible one, but it hasn't been, you know, it hasn't changed anything in Detroit. <laughs> you know what would make uh, not paying Snacks Harrison a whole lot easier? Mm-hmm. If you drafted Ed Oliver. Yeah. It's the same. Well, not the Still. exact same because there's only one year left on Sue's deal. Well, that's the same thing that happened with Aaron Donald and Sue. Yeah. Like, losing Sue hurt because <laughs> you didn't have anybody to replace him. Because you pass on Aaron Donald in the draft. God, I love when we took Indominus Sue. I was so happy for that draft pick. I Me thought, too. And he, he was, I, I, I mean, really he was thought that was a change that he needed. He was. He was. And it's crazy with all the talk that he gets for the dirtiness on the field, all the amazing things he's done off the field for different charities. His own, obviously, done a lot for Nebraska. Um, a lot of players do a lot for their universities, though. But he's done a lot more outside of that um, that never really got talked about much just because of all the crap that we saw on the field. I wanted him back this offseason when he's a free agent. Uh, like, same. Bring him, bring him I take back. him back. Bring him home. Never hated him. Didn't hate the play. I thought he was going to drag us kicking and screaming and to be a team full of dicks on the defensive side, but it would have been a team that people didn't want to play. But that did not end up being the case. Imagine him and TJ Lang still on the same team. The Detroit Lions were 8-8 eight and eight is a winning season. <laughs> Terrible. So you had Team Lions, Team Warriors, Team Snacks, Team Calvin, Team Slay, <laughs> Team Sue. Looks like we are uh, we are about to be team short podcast. Unless there was anything else you wanted to get in before the buzzer here. 
I just wanted to at least mention the Stanley Cup Finals real quick because it is tied at two, which is the best that you could hope for when you don't have a dog in the fight, as none of us do. Uh, Paul's got two dogs he wants to put down in the fight as he hates both St. Louis and Boston when it comes to teams on the ice. But uh, Boston came out and ripped St. Louis a new one in their first Stanley Cup game at home in like 40-something years, put up seven on the Blues, winning seven to two. The Blues fought back the other night and uh, won four to two. Tied this series up at two, going back to Boston, where Zdeno Charo is now a question mark uh, as he has a broken jaw. That's what happens when you take a puck to the face. Uh, I do not recommend it for anybody, even if you are wearing a helmet and a face mask. Uh, so, our two finals that we have going on right now on the hardwood and on the ice, both tied series. You really can't ask for anything better than that as a casual fan. No, I might uh, I might actually watch Game Five. Last year I watched hey, some of it because uh, because of my man Ovechkin. Right. I watched, I watched some of the Stanley Cup Finals, but yeah, I might actually watch Game Five. I thought it was two one. I thought seven to two was the most previous game, but yeah, if it's two two Game Five, that might be something I tune into. Yeah, it was uh, and it was two two in Game Four going into the third period, and the Bruins were just flat, and the Blues were not. Made it three two, scored a fourth one there in the final minute or so. To seal that game, tie this series up, head it back to Boston, and now a best of three, which is all you want if you don't have a dog in this fight, which obviously none of us do. But yeah, that's it. Short podcast. You're welcome, folks. Uh, that's what happens when the long-winded ones are not here to take over everything. This is short. It's probably still like an hour and 15 minutes. Hey, that's short for us, considering we've pushed <laughs> yeah, sure, like a three-hour mark before with these guys. <laughs> So, that's it. We done. You're welcome. That was Ryan Griffin. I'm Matt Basson. We are Sports Carnage. Uh, We will have most of the cast next week. I believe Paul is dealing with some some housing issues that he's going to have to deal with. So, he will not be joining us for the next couple weeks, actually. Which is not a bad thing, as uh, that man can talk for a long, long time without anyone stopping him. He's going to be talking for all three weeks that he's not here. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get some notes from him. Oh, to, you'll know, you know we'll get some give, notes. Give out there for everyone. <laughs> It'll take you three hours just to read the notes. Oh my god! All right, well, Ryan, thank you. This has been a blast. NBA yeah. talk all day. That's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> so we got Warriors, Raptors tied at one, Bruins, Blues tied at two. Best of both worlds for casual fans, which we are. Although Ryan and I definitely root for the Warriors, even though they're not our team. But that's what happens when you got a Spartan leading the way in Draymond Green. <laughs> so that's it. We done. Thank you again for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with most likely a longer podcast. All right.